Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. What the fuckers? What the fuck heads? I think we decided against that one. I'm still getting a lot of, uh, Request for different types of greetings for you people. I'm happy you're on board. Welcome to the show. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good time. On today's show, I'm very excited to have Andy Kindler, the amazing, the spectacular, the funny, the completely unpredictable and very Jewish Andy Kindler will be here in the garage with me momentarily. So I'm sitting here with about five or six extra pounds of turkey weight sitting on my body. Turkey weight, cranberry sauce weight, stuffing weight. Because, you know, planet food is different. When you're out of town, for some reason, what you ingest doesn't count. And I I had a pretty good time over Thanksgiving. It was good to see my mom. I was good to uh, be there long enough to learn how to accept and tolerate her boyfriend, who's a nice guy, and my mom's happy with him. But it's very hard because you have all these judgments that you have in your head about, you know, your mom and what she should be doing and what she shouldn't be doing. But who the hell am I to judge? He's a nice guy. I mean, what the fuck is my problem exactly? So that went well, but then I'm on the plane to Vancouver, and I had this weird thought run through my head, because I'm sitting there, I upgraded to first class for 50 extra dollars since I didn't buy the ticket, so I went ahead and upgraded, but it's not that great uh, on Alaska Airlines. I mean, I got a little more leg room, and they gave me a snack, so the snack they give me is like celery sticks, carrot sticks, some dip, uh, and some little pitas stuffed with hummus. It was it was fine, but I, I ran out of carrot sticks, and I still had dip left, so I got a little aggravated, and a little, I didn't go into a complete what-the-fuck mode, but I, I was, you know, I needed more carrots, so I asked the, the flight attendant guy, I said, you got any more carrots? He's like, no, I don't have any more carrots. It's not like he has a big bag of carrots back there. I mean, he just has each tray, and then the guy sitting next to me, who I don't know, says, uh, I'm, I'm not going to eat my carrots. And it was one of these weird, awkward moments where uh, where etiquette you know, had to be transcended because I had dip left, and I said, "Yeah, hell yeah, I'll, I'll eat your carrots." So I, you know, I, I sort of scooped his carrots onto my tray, uh, like you remember in elementary school when someone didn't want their dessert and you'd lock the trays together at the tops and you'd just take your spoon and run the stuff that they wanted to give you over the top of the tray into your tray. So I was a little nostalgic in that way. So I took this guy's carrots and I ate his carrots. I had no problem with it. And then I got off on this whole riff in my head, this whole tangent about how much food is wasted and why can't we do that at restaurants? I mean, how dangerous is it? It can't be a germ thing. It's just an inappropriate thing. I I think that we have to reevaluate how much food we waste in this country. I grew up in in a household where wasting food was a reasonable thing to do if it would stop you from getting fat. But I started to think about, because I watch the Food Channel a lot, because I, I think it's exciting and it makes, me, uh, it makes me happy. But if you watch Iron Chef or any of these food shows, they make about three or four versions of the dish. And then they have, usually have a, a mountain of food sitting there that is not being used just as a display. If you go to supermarkets and you really think about you know, how much of the shit goes bad. If you live in a neighborhood with a big supermarket with a deli section, you look at the salads, the potato salads, the coleslaws, whatever they have mountains of in the back. I mean, how long does that shit really last? And what are they doing with the stuff they don't use? And isn't it sort of abominable, given the nature of corporate farming, given the nature of corporate agriculture, given the nature of how little control we have over all these elements in terms of, of regulations, in, in terms of food safety, just how much food we fucking waste. 
And I, I really got obsessed with it on this airplane because I thought I'd done something noble by taking this guy's carrots. That's a great element of my eating disorder is that moment where I say, I have to eat this because I don't want to throw it away because, you know, a pig died for this or a carrot died for this and, and, and someone else could be eating this. It'd be a shame to throw it away. So I'm going to shove it into my fat face. All right. So I go off in this riff where I'm, I'm thinking about all this food being wasted. And I know some people say, well, you know, some supermarkets have, uh, uh, situations or, or agreements with homeless shelters or soup kitchens where they give stuff that isn't bad but uh, expired to them so they can feed the homeless. All right, I don't know about all that, but I do know that a hell of a lot of food is being thrown in the garbage. So I'm just trying to think of some practical ideas that could maybe you know make it so the food is used. Uh, and uh, like, okay, so let's say there's an expensive restaurant where people get served very nice food. And a lot of times they have extra food or they have food they don't use or someone doesn't eat their side dish. Why can't there be a back room restaurant at fancy restaurants for, for people that, that would not be able to afford to eat the regular restaurant and you have to go around back? But I say that instead of the dumpster, instead of, uh, you know, why not set up some picnic tables in the back of nice restaurants, maybe mandate it where people can come and eat for free or, or next to nothing? Or why not have, uh, why not make it okay to just, you know, go into restaurants. Why can't it be okay to go in restaurants if you're dressed nicely or, or you act properly and just take a once around the restaurant and say things like, are, are you not eating that? Are you done with that bread? Do you mind? And just take it off the table. Okay, it would interrupt dinner, but I think we'd get used to it and I think it'd be the right thing to do. So what if you're eating at a nice restaurant, you're having a romantic dinner or a business dinner and somebody comes up that, that isn't necessarily smelly or, or, or awkward in the restaurant and just says, look, you know, I was just passing by. I'm, I'm a little hungry. If you're not going to eat that, can I eat that? And you just scoop it into a bowl or, or you know, into a, a styrofoam thing and you walk out. I don't think that's, that's horrible. All right, here's the other thing that I have on my mind. Uh, a, a serious, you know, it wasn't so much of a what the fuck moment as much as it was a, a sort of sad realization that time is passing. I watched the Hall of Fame concert on HBO, all 19 hours of it. Could it be a longer fucking concert? I know they put two together. I know we all want to see our favorite rock personalities play with other rock personalities, but it was a little long and I missed the first half hour and I still couldn't sit through the whole goddamn thing. And I like music and I, and I am prone to hero worship. There are people that are instilled in my head from when I was a, a younger person. And I have to be honest and, and I didn't want to say this, but I had this feeling before uh, when I saw the Martin Scorsese movie, but Mick Jagger it's time to sit down. It's time to take a rest. Uh, you've done well. You did good. We're all grateful for you. But please, please sit down. Mick came out and sang with Bono. They did a miserable version of Gimme Shelter with uh, with Fergie, I think it was, from the Black Eyed Peas. Or, I don't know. See, this is my problem. This is another issue is that I am getting older. I don't know enough about new music. Not because I'm so hung up on old music. I just don't have the fucking time to get into everything. But she had a good voice, but it was sort of miserable. And Mick was just, you know, he, he looked a little desperate, a, a little old. I was happy to see him. And Bono, quite frankly, and I'm a U2 fan to a certain degree, became very annoying. And throughout the entire evening, Springsteen was sort of in and out. I'm not a huge Springsteen guy, but I got to tell you, in the great war of egos... Uh, in getting across to me musically, Springsteen did a great job. There was no cock bigger than Springsteen's on that stage all night long, even with Metallica, because I know some people tend towards that. They think that the, the momentum and the, and the uh, intensity equals uh, cock power. 
But in terms of cock ego, I think that Springsteen, you know, in his earnest, subtle way, definitely won. And and another problem, uh, I'm 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 happy. You know, Graham Nash, uh, a little irritating. I was happy to see all you guys could still sing, and you're all still alive. And I'm glad the kidney's working out for you, Crosby. But I, all right. You, you, you've got your place. It was okay to see you. I, there was a time where I liked you all, and I'm, I'm happy to see you. But I'm not that old a boomer. I'm just barely a boomer, so I was not that excited uh, about it. Oddly, the most powerful moment for me, even Lou Reed. Lou Reed came out and did a song with Metallica. So did Ray Davies. Lou, a, again, you know, I'm, I'm happy you're still alive. Thanks for showing up. But uh, you can, you know, just hang out. Just hang out. You, you did your work. It was good. I'm glad you're still out there. I like to hear your stories. But it was a little sad. That's what I'm feeling. A little sadness at the passing of these, uh, the dinosaurs. You know, uh, the, the, the time is fully passed. Mick Jagger, Lou Reed. Uh, loved you guys. But it, it, I'm, it makes me a little sad to see you now. Uh, high points of the night. Oddly. Simon and Garfunkel. I, you know, Paul Simon annoying irritating uh you know i seethe with with contempt though i cannot deny that i love some of his music then art garfunkel comes out older still with the hair okay i can do it i can accept it as well you know because there is wisdom in these voices that have matured there is something that shifts these are professionals they are artists so there is something that happens when they get older that can be very you know deeper and and more interesting and and just a, a sort of evolution for them some of them but art garfunkel gets out there with paul simon sings his fucking balls off and hits the notes and and during uh, bridge over troubled water what happens paul simon takes the second verse art garfunkel has one song of his own in this in in this outfit you can't give him the verse, Paul. Really, after 900 records, Grammys, you know, you ditched the guy a long time ago. He sits around waiting for you to ask him to come play. He had a couple of good solo albums. You can't give him the second verse. You cannot share this, the, the limelight to give, to give Artie the, the, both verses of the one song that he sings. Fucking unbelievable. I know these aren't big problems, but these were, these were issues I had. Moving on, I would, it would, I would be remiss to not address that our President Obama has now uh, taken uh, ownership of the war in Afghanistan, something I'm very against. I think it's a clusterfuck. I think that it is an impossible situation, and I think that uh, him you know, taking responsibility and owning it by putting more troops in and then uh, asking for a, you know, and saying that they'll be out, I, I'm just getting a little tired of it. I think it's a heinous uh, effort. I think it's an unwinnable effort. And, and, and I resent it. And I've always been against that war. And an interesting thing happened to me because I am not, you know, I've been in situations where, you know, I see soldiers in airports and, and it's always interesting to me to see uh, sh soldiers in uniform at airports. I've been seeing a lot because I flew through Texas and I flew into Atlanta and I, I've seen a lot of soldiers and people, you know, come up to them and they thank them for their service and I saw this young soldier at the airport in Atlanta going to Florida. And people were walking up to him, thanking him for his service. And he didn't seem to really register it. It wasn't that he looked like he was out of his mind or anything, but he, he didn't seem to know how to handle it. And it turns out that I get on the plane and, and I, I'm sitting next to him. And there's a seat between us next to this soldier in uniform, a young kid. And I'm sitting there. I've got my vintage peace sign button on. And I look the way I look, he looks the way he looks, and I don't really know what to say to him. 
and he takes out his computer at some point during the flight and he starts playing video games. And I said, so what is that? And he tells me, uh, you know, he downloaded a console from a video game he used to play when he, when he was a kid. It wasn't Atari. It wasn't Sega. It was one I, I didn't know, but he was very excited about it. And he was very excited that he could play these games that he played when he, he was a kid. This guy must not have been older than 22 or 23. So I asked him if he had been to Iraq. He said, yeah, he'd, he'd been there. He'd already done uh, one tour of duty. He was in the artillery. He, was got, he got two weeks downtime for Thanksgiving to spend with his mother in Florida. So I asked him how it was over there in Afghanistan. And he says uh, it, it, he's, uh, he's having a great time. He's enjoying jumping out of planes. He's enjoying you know, being there. He enjoys the, the, the people that he's working with. I said, well, do you see much action? Have you seen much conflict? Have you, have you, have you gotten into firefights? You know, I was trying to, to sort of you know, push through to find uh, if there was any emotion in this in, in terms of, of his reaction to, to seeing action. And he said, no, he was in the artillery, and they, and they had not encountered that. And uh, it was just interesting to me to, to sort of talk to him, and he showed me some pictures of Afghanistan and, 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 and his unit. And he, and I asked him what he wanted to do. Is he going to be a career military? And he just really doesn't know. He didn't really know what he wanted to do. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't really have a place to live other than, uh, than the base. And, and, and he was a very nice kid, and he was very excited to be part of this effort. And I didn't get into the idea of, of, you know, what are you fighting for? What are we fighting for? You know, do you feel it's national interest? Do you, do you feel that uh, you, you're defending the country? But it was the same story of, of a young person who, who got involved with the Army because, you know, it felt like it would give him some, uh, some structure. And I, I don't know. It's just it, sometimes it's hard for me to separate, you know, from my politics about how I feel about the war and 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 the people that serve in it, and I know I have a lot of guys who are who are in the armed forces and women who who listen to my show, and I do appreciate what they're doing. And in some respects, uh, I it, there's there's part of me that feels grateful that they they have chosen to defend the country, but also you know there's some part of me that thinks like, well, don't you want to ask some questions? Shouldn't your your uh, commitment be be fueled by some sort of criticism or ideological debate about why we're in Afghanistan but a lot of times it, it is just a certain mindset that that wants to serve the country for whatever reason they have and they do it and uh, it, it really connected me with that when I talked to this guy and then I read an article in Time magazine about post-traumatic stress disorder and how you know undermanaged it is and how uh, how it's still stigmatized and and the great because I always felt a little awkward when uh, when people would would thank the troops at the airport, and, I, and I'd see it because it, it just seemed peculiar to me. But it seems that one of the the in, instigators, or one of the the horrible things about post traumatic stress, is that when these guys go to war, you know, now we're in two of them, two ridiculous wars. That the people stateside, you know, if the agenda isn't isn't collective, or or if it isn't in the public eye you know, as it should be in a critical way, as much as, uh, as it can be, is that people who just live their lives here, they, you know, these guys go off to war and then it's, uh, they forget about it. And these guys come home from war and it's not like Vietnam where they're, they meet resistance, but they just meet a sort of apathy that it's just off the public radar in a way. And, and it's, and, and that stigmatizes them in the sense that they suppress their post-traumatic stress and the, the lack of appreciation for them going over there and, and dealing with death and, and seeing carnage and, and going through what they're going through. And they come back and people are like, uh, wow, so do you get to drive a Jeep? That there, there is no 
appreciation. So, and, and that makes it worse for them. And this is going to be a, a huge problem because of the thousands of people that are there and, and how prevalent. And I just really think that the awareness of it has to be elevated a bit. But I, I did feel a, a little humbled by the whole thing. And I've sort of changed my mind about the idea that, uh, you know, we may not know it, but and we may not agree with it, but these guys are going through some serious shit. Have you done radio before? No. Pretend oh, I know how to do it. 65 Degrees oh, downtown, uh, Eagle now, Rock. See, Come up go. in a half hour, we'll be giving away some Aerosmith tickets, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. See, the, you, you kind of got the levels here for We what? could get a little bit of the wet stuff this weekend. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, are we looking at snow? No, no. I, when I say the wet stuff, I mean rain. Oh, rain. Snow is a little bit of the cold, frozen thing. It's the uh, fluffy stuff, the cold, fluffy stuff that yeah. falls out. I am uh, in my uh, garage with Andy Kindler. I've been looking forward to this. Though it is that time of the day where people our age take naps or have yeah. lunch. It's sad, isn't it? They used to call it, call, if you want to call it a siesta to make it sound more <laughs> less, less sad. Exotic. <laughs> yeah. I don't find the, the, the nap helps, though, do you? I, I feel terrible after it. Well, sometimes, like, if I, if I nap and I don't do it right, I, it can go on the rest of the day. Yeah. And then on into the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you take a break to eat. You, yeah. You, napping is the, 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 the only consistent thing. And then you, you actually wake up to eat. Now, I haven't gotten that. I'm <laughs> I wish that. napping was the poor man something. We yeah. need more poor man's things. <laughs> I think napping's the poor man's night's sleep. Is that, could that work? Hey, poverty is the poor man's. Entire life. I think. Oh, I think we we got it. Hey, it's in like it's like smaller than a fifth grader. That's a great. That's a great show. What? <laughs> I've not watched that show. I did. I watched it once with my folks. Yeah, and did did they did they like it? Who well, likes it? It's nice. No, nobody likes it. Even my oh. parents like. It. Well, my parents like anything that has questions in it because they enjoy that. But at the end, Jeff Foxworthy does one of his. He does a bit. He does a joke. Yeah. If you if you don't know if you only know things on a fourth grade level, then you might not be smarter than a fifth grader oh uh, so everything's yeah. a comparison he buttons it up with his i think it used to be done for his redneck premises that's right how it sounds familiar to me right and he just wanted if he figured if the timing was right the people that enjoyed that will enjoy the analogy well i think he thinks the structure is golden isn't yeah it? yeah hey if you might not do this you maybe you can do this maybe you're this yeah <laughs> that's genius and this is what has kept us uh, not reaching the upper echelons. The big, well, when I say the upper echelons, I mean the big money. Is is our ability to come up with a uh, something that everyone will love? Have on you a tried? Daily basis. Have you ever tried t-shirts? Well, t-shirts are different, but a hook. Oh like yeah, a, I have tried a hook. Yeah, what do you got? Same old, same old. <laughs> I also <laughs> just shows to go. Yeah, that just, was mine. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, what else you got? That's my peanut butter. <laughs> June, J- J- Jerry. Who's talking now? <laughs> I see you have more. I, no, I just I invented that one no. just now. Who's talking now? Uh, excuse, how about this one? Excuse me, I've got the mic. I like that. Yeah, I've actually said that. Yeah, but not repetitive. See, that's different. You might have said that one, on a one-off. One-off is another one of my favorite expressions right, now. Right, it's yeah. a one-off. It's a one-off. Never happened again. Never happened there again. was that one night. But you don't say every show that- Who's thing. on the mic? Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't sell a whole bunch of things related to it. Although I'm I'm on the selling bus now. You are? Yeah. What do you sell? Well, I have the DVD. Do you sell I the, wish I was better. The, the, do you sell an Andy Kinler hanky? No. The Andy, good. <laughs> got an Andy Kinler Schwitz hanky. I get, you know, I, I just want to say this up front because uh, I want you to know 
that um, I've gotten some emails saying that the show is too Jewy. Serious? Who would write that that would listen to this show? I could see uh, people, if you were on uh, uh, Y95, whatever that is, but who listening to this show would think that? Y95? What is, is that? It just sounds like something good. It's like yeah. Q Cash. Oh. I'll give you $2,000 in Q Cash. Oh, uh, no, it was one email, and of course I made it much bigger than it needed to be and took it as some sort of uh, not even veiled anti-Semitic thing because I'd had uh, Nick Kroll on, and someone said that I referred to my Jewishness a lot. And I'm not, yeah, I'm certainly not as Jewy as you, and uh, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, no, you should mean it in a good way because I think I don't want it to become my my hook. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a Jew? I'm, I'm a, a Jew. Jew. Well, I, it's it's a, it's so. But his point was uh, wasp it up. Well, his point was like, why do you got to talk about it so much if it's uh, you know if it, you know like what about us non Jews who. Uh, who uh, take offense to the fact that uh, that you Jews are talking about being Jewish all the time? It's not my fault that at this point you're feeling excluded because that's been the the bane of our people. I, well, first of all, I, I like when I can feel the seed start to rise in you. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm not that. I only seed in the opening segment. During the guest segment, I try to be as uh, diplomatic as possible. Oh, so you've already done Where's Your Beef? Your, your beef segment? Yeah, I, I've and what done, sticks uh, in your craw? No, it's called Who's Got the Mic? I Got the Mic. Right, right. Uh, right. So then, then you talk about what's bothering you and... Uh... Right, right. What's And then I ask myself, Mark, what's your beef? And I say, shut up, Letterman already did that. To myself, I said it. And then I say, <laughs> well, what should I call this segment? And then I say, why don't you just talk for a few minutes? And I say, that's a good, that's a good thing to call it. I'm just going to talk for a few minutes. Are you your own sidekick, too? You don't have any crazy... People? I, occasionally, I play the guy over here going, <laughs> oh, shit. And then I go like, easy, buddy. Oh, no. Oh. Is his name Buddy? Is yeah. that his name? Buddy. Buddy. Man. <laughs> but I, I think the, the one question that Andy Kinler probably gets, and, and I don't think you get it in an interview format, but you probably get from, from relatives and people that like you. Uh, why aren't you bigger? Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> I get that from my, my dad, who was hilarious. It's always been hilarious and continues to be hilarious, but he's become a lot more curmudgingly, yeah. curmudgingly. Whatever is on TV, yeah. he says, why Why wasn't that available to you? Yeah, I, I hate that. <laughs> my, my father did the thing where he goes, you know Bill Maher, why don't you just call him? <laughs> like, I love that one. Like, all right, I'll call him. I'll call I'll call Bill and I'll say, uh, Bill, what, what do you say? Can I have your job? I mean, I don't know what they're asking you to do. I just think that they think that uh, why? I think the, they just want us to be. Well, my dad would like me to be happy, or and he also like to bother me. Too. Yeah, I always take it as some sort of insult, but I think I think that's uh, the wrong way to take it. I think they're just trying to be supportive and they want the best for you. Right. But my father also wants to see me. Uh, uh, he wants to win. I'm not <laughs> sure what. It's unclear to me. But I've decided that it's a, it's a battle of some sort. Well, also my parents. Uh, well, everybody wants thinks if you had the right people around you, that's the whole thing. Why are the people around you doing it? I don't, but you know, if you really think about Andy, and I think about it a lot, uh, you know, at any given time, there's only five or six guys that are, you know, in that much in the national spotlight, you know, that big. Right. We were talking about that in Montreal this we were? year. No, you're just talking about how, well, you were saying you see these kids as they're coming up and yeah. they're, they're, they're all excited. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's all going to happen. It's all going to happen this year. I don't know what the, you know, you draw all these lines, but I mean, you didn't start. You started like I started in shitty comedy clubs at open mics when there were no comic run rooms. There were no open, uh, there was no uh, alternative comedy scene. And you did uh, straight stand up. We called it in the day. Yeah. I feel very glad that I was able to have that kind of background for stand up. I would really not have wanted just an alternative background. 
Yeah, I don't know what the hell it, I'll turn. I don't. I. I mean, I ended up doing it because it was a good place to work out. Right. Yeah, and then it was like I don't know. Is this a movement? <laughs> I think all movements are in relation. See, what happens is all categories don't work. So whenever there's a category that you have to use for ca- categorical purposes, yeah, then people yeah. go, oh, what are you saying it is? Yeah. So your alternative, what are you saying that is? Yeah, I don't know what that is. I think it was just the way comedy reinvented itself because when we were starting out, there was hack comics, there were boat acts, there was just uh, boat comics, and then there were all those guys that came in that like, you know, when they they made happy hours illegal, all of a sudden you had singing people in comedy clubs. <laughs> you remember? I don't remember when they had happy hours illegal. Yeah, well, they just stopped. Uh, yeah, in some states, you couldn't, you know, do. Oh, the... you do a happy hour, yeah. Right. But I, I played a club in uh, Iowa, and uh, at first I was, uh, I got scared. I had been, you know, I hadn't been to Iowa in a long time, and the first night I was like, oh, you get spoiled by alternative clubs sometimes. But then you realize it's ridiculous. You know, you're in the nightclub business. What do you want to have happen? I have, a, <laughs> I have an easier time at regular comedy clubs because then the expectation is very simple. We don't know who you are. Could you make us laugh, please? Alternative comedy clubs, I, a lot of times I think the audience is pretending to be smarter than they are, uh, you know, pretending to be part of something that doesn't really exist other than through glasses, frames, and certain shoes, and, and they, they answer to those things, and they become more difficult to me. I think any time that you're living up to a concept rather than just being yourself, you're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Well, let's talk about show business. Okay. I've had this conversation with you before. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Okay, this we've had a conversation. This way, we this time we're not going to get lost. We're not going to get lost <laughs> in a car, and we're not going to fight. Right? Okay. But like some people say, Andy Kindler, he's one of the funniest guys that I've ever seen in my life. I think he's probably in the top two or three funniest people in the world. Why does he spend so much time talking about show business? Right. Is that what <laughs> that's a they that I made up? Well, I think there's a, I think there is a certain point to that because. Uh, uh, I think if all I did talk about was show business, it would get boring, and that's why I'm introducing my new food segment. Uh, why do they call them grapes? They're not uh, gray. Uh, let's get back to show business, shall we? They don't, they don't, they don't descend from apes. Uh, I think it's because uh, I'm obsessed with what's... Like, for example, I just love watching... As the worse Jay Leno's show gets, yeah, the more I enjoy watching it. <laughs> and so the only thing that can be bad is if I'm going on and on about ten at ten or one of his segments, yeah, and then you find out that less people don't just don't care about it, so they really haven't watched it, yeah, and then they don't know what you're talking about. But for me, I just feel like I ha- I can't stop watching it, and it's it's. I used to like watching bad comedy, yeah, but then that got old to me. Like what? I mean, bad stand-ups, yeah. In like in the nineties, yeah, and you'd yeah. watch bad yeah, yeah, yeah. But now to watch bad comedy, you have to go out of the stand-up world to someone like Jay Leno. <laughs> it's great. I don't understand that show. You didn't like him to begin with, right? I was never a, a bit, well in the eighties. I was. I did like him when he would come yeah. and uh, be on Letterman and he yeah. had his beef yeah. and stuff like that. But then he became very into the people ple- people pleasers. I'm not crazy about. I used to, in the old days like people pleasers because I like him better than the the angry people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you realize that sometimes the angry people are more real, right? And <laughs> what do you, what do, what do you call what you do uh, as a person? No, on stage. Uh, I'm the uh, I don't know why do I talk about show business so much. Yeah, no, I uh, <laughs> what I do. Uh, 
I'm in the as I as my current joke says I'm in the de- uh, I used to be in the deconstruction business before yeah. comment I didn't yeah. build a house I just comment about it <laughs> drywall looks like wet wall <laughs> but we this is where we are simpatico yeah and this is also where we've developed over the yeah. years because I really see your uh, well having worked with you recently I feel that you've gone through in the next level too. I've gotten softer. I've 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 realized that uh, it, it's exhausting to uh, to force yourself to be angry about everything. <laughs> so what I do is I'll be angry about something, and then I'll talk about me for a while, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll get a little angry, and then I'll say, "Isn't uh, isn't a nice sandwich good?" Right. Yeah. I just get tired, but you you just go. Yeah. We, well, let's talk about let's talk about this thing. Like, okay, here's an example of where we we diverge. Is that right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, you went on a fairly long and focused attack uh, of Dane Cook. Yeah, back in the, in the day. Not so much anymore because it's... Right, but like, like I've got to this point where it's like, I didn't even give a shit about him. Well, you're right. And I think that in general, you have to... There gets to be that point where you go, okay, well, okay, you've said your thing and what's the point of it after a while? The only thing that's made me... Uh, talk about him again is when I find something new. Like he did, uh, he happened to be in Quad Cities when I was in Quad Cities, and he was playing the I Wireless Center arena, yeah. arena, and he, and I was playing uh, Penguins, <laughs> and it was really <laughs> I had a, I had a fun time. But it just was funny because we had a, it was a three, it was a big pullout. Dane Cook, me, and Paula Poundstone. Yeah. So Dane Cook was a uh, hundred and two dollars a ticket. Yeah. I was fourteen dollars a ticket. Yeah. And then Paula Poundstone was thirty dollars a ticket. So I just love the uh, where we are in our careers. But the thing that made me laugh was he did this whole thing about how he has all these cameras that are on him, and so that if he does a subtle nuance movement, the people in the back can see it. So yeah. they really feel like they're part of a show. Yeah. So that's made me made me laugh. Like <laughs> even when you if you go to a Dane Cook concert, you'll have a feeling you're actually there at a concert you have a chance of feeling that there's a you can make a connection to him so that made me laugh but otherwise i think it's over i can't keep going back over the same thing that yeah. bothers me about him i now we, when we were working together so you're you're commenting more on politics now yeah i do i do uh that was, that's good the libertarian thing i can't remember what it was, it was about ron paul about how libertarians go you know they sound normal and then they're yeah, two right. sentences that the, the, we, the government shouldn't have a fire department <laughs> that puts a, every family should have a bucket brigade <laughs> we should be on the gold standard <laughs> we should have a barter system i'll give you a fish you give me a pelt <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah. must be more you must be more political now because you see i kind of like i really am in the obama camp and i'm ready to stay in that camp and i just i kind of like trust him he's my he's my go-to person to trust yeah i just don't trust anybody else but him i i don't know like i have fallen out a little bit i uh the afghanistan thing makes me makes me uncomfortable i i don't know why he had to go out and take ownership of that war uh other than he it's like it's the one campaign promise he's decided to go full bore into. You, you know what I mean? Like, that'll be a public option, uh, uh, closing Guantanamo, all these other things that were really nice ideas. He's like, we'll see what happens. But Afghanistan, I'm dumping 30,000 troops into there. I, but one I'm, thing I think that I've come to realize that's starting to bother me, that I see generally in life, is like, you know, we are ego-based people. Comedians are ego-based people. But... And anybody who's has an ego is ego based person. But if you're a comedian or whatever it is that you do in your life, you might have a gen- general love for what you do. Yeah. And I'm what I'm getting tired of, and this is a, partly political. Is like I get tired of like a, of, of, of like say Ariana Huffington. 
you know, she used to be on the right. Now she's kind of the, the Huffington Post. But there's a part of me that sometimes when I hear her talk, it's like, it's all about Ariana Huffington. It's yeah. not about it's not about the country. It's about and so it's like when they when she comes on a show like MSNBC and she starts saying they are, she she starts rallying against the Democrat rallying rallying against the Democrats rallying against what they're not doing. It's like at some point bring up the fact that there has to be sixty votes and how are you going to solve the fact that there isn't sixty votes? And that's what I think there's that's what bothers me. I don't didn't want MSNBC to be the left wing version of Fox. I'm not saying they are because I do think that Rachel and Keith. I mean, they're fact based. They're not just trying to go crazy. Right. right. But I don't. I just don't like that kind of like we're in the left, we're in the right, and then there's no real discussion that takes place. Yeah, and, and most people like I've grown to find just from my own experience in not being involved in it on a day to day basis is that you know people aren't apathetic. They're generally busy. Right. Uh, they they don't have time to know everything. And most people who talk on radio or on television are lying and they don't know shit and and people just you know take the brand they like and and just regurgitate the facts that they heard on that thing without doing any research or anything else and and I just I know that to be true because I don't do that because I'll go do my research if I need to but I've talked to people that will just say things as true as they were delivered to their heads by Glenn Beck right yeah those and those people there's a there's a certain segment of the population I think is to be worried about and those are the people who follow extremists I mean that's why in Germany I think Scientology and certain things are illegal because they go, you know, we're not going to even let certain things start. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to, that's the decision we've made. Now, we're, we're different here. And yeah, because if you're going to be killed for an ideal, let it be Arianism and not flying tossers. Yeah, I mean, you, at least there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain sturdiness not, to their rigidity, the yeah, Arians. Yeah, not, 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 let it be racial purity, not to release the inner Thetan or whatever that is. Well, I don't want to insult any Scientologists out there, but I have actually read some of the Scientology stuff and the, Mein Kampf and those books are much more interesting to read. <laughs> they really are. That guy, I don't know, they say he was a popular uh, science fiction. Have you, if you've ever tried to read any of the Dianetics books, they are the most boring books in the history of the world. Well, I'm not a science fiction guy, are you? No, I don't like those either, but I've, I always thought science fiction people really were able to, you know, flower it up or something, well, science draw fiction, you in. The science fiction people have won the fight. Whatever we are, uh, you know, uh, earthbound, uh, uh, neurotic Jews. Yeah, I, I think that that's another element of comedy that has has sort of fallen to the wayside. The neurotic Jew is now passe, and I bl- I blame Prozac because I think that after a certain point, you know, like, and I even get it. You know, sometimes I watch Richard Lewis now, and I'm like, you haven't solved any of these problems. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is better. <laughs> well, but don't you think that someone like Richard Lewis is an actual archetype himself? He started. No, I understand that's his act. Yeah, but I really think that that people's tolerance. For that type of comedy has faded since they realized that there's medicine for it. Yeah, this guy should really get on medicine. Well, I, that's the thing too. I, I, uh, I've recently been feeling that I have no ability to. Fo- I want some. I want to take something now. I've decided. You do? What are Not you looking really. at? No, I mean, go ahead. Talk. What do you? What do you think? Uh, Is there a special pill? Are you designing one? What, what, like in the perfect world, what would the uh, Andy Kenmore pill be? It would be like uh, it would be like uh, cocaine without coming down. Oh, sure. <laughs> I think they call that uh, crystal meth. Right, but you do come down from crystal meth. I, I don't see a lot of crystal and, meth success stories. You lose your teeth. No, there's not a lot of... And I have high blood pressure, so I want something that keeps me up, focused, <laughs> ex- absorbed in my activities, <laughs> and then, oh, let's do this. I can't do that. I have a very difficult time. What happens? Okay, so you I, get up, and then... And then, well, for certain things sound like they're... Uh, <laughs> like, it took us so long to put out our DVD, because, oh, everything is so hard. Opening up a PayPal account... <laughs> 
We were looking at your uh, website. You had a nice thing going on there. Where? At uh, uh, markmarin.com? Yeah, it's fantastic. Really? But it's like it, it, uh, my wife and I, we we were almost beaten uh, emotionally by just opening up a PayPal well, you know, account. You know what most people do? What's that? Get a guy. I I need some guys. <laughs> yes, I need a guy. <laughs> you got to get a guy. But then know? I'm also picky. My other part is I'm picky and I'm perfectionist. But then the AD, I, th- I feel like I have, that if I had come up in the right time, I would have been on Ritalin. I would have been go, 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 go. I would have been, you know what I'm saying? But you get on stage and you're like that. R- like Ritalin or like focused? Well, you're, well, you know, you're, you're, you're intensely focused on being on stage and performing. Uh, I think that part of uh, uh, what's funny about you is, is uh, you're not always focused. Well, then, so, so if you take something, won't that ruin that? That's what I'm worried about. I don't want to ruin what I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an unfocused. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to break your stride. No, because no. you're like you're, you're peaking now. I'm peaking. <laughs> oh God. No, I get the same thing. What happens is you get overwhelmed. Uh, uh, instead of just doing what's in front of you and doing it one step at a time, you picture the entire thing and you picture like there's you here and what you have to do in a completed form is way over there. It's crazy. And I don't great. even know if that bridge is going to hold me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What if what if it gets shaky in the middle? I'm exhausted. That's why I couldn't handle with Eugene Merman has to have a projector. And if I had to add those other th- equipment to it. Oh, my God. That was the hilarious thing. I told that story when he was on the show. Yeah, some people have an easier go of it. Some be- And I find the way that you learn how to do things, there's two ways. Either you learn because you have to do something with what you're trying to do. Right. Or you get somebody to show you. You say, can you help me with this? <laughs> are you good? Are you, oh, can you help me? Are you good at that? No, but the thing is, is that like uh, you know, my wife, you know, my wife Susan and I, we work on our projects together. And but sometimes when we've uh, had other people help us, then sometimes that can be good. But if it's not the right person, then you're on a whole different trip. Yeah, you got to trust them. Yeah, and then uh, and then like you know, what did we give him that number? We right. don't know him that well. He's got the number to the thing. That's right. We got to change the number. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't that. But you seem to get people who are just help you, and then you you get, you, you give them a cookie, as Rickles would say. It's, you know what's better than a cookie? Money. Money. <laughs> <laughs> I find that you yeah. can, you can offer a cookie if they'll go with that. You found yourself quite a deal. But usually, when you talk money, then they're like, yeah. okay, oh, I'll, I'll, I can dig that. Yeah. And then there's people like Louis C.K. that literally grew up in a house. With a mother who was like a, a computer program. Like he knows he can gut a computer and put it back together again. He's got one of those things. He can take it apart and put it back together. He can, you know, he knows basic computer language and all that stuff. And when when I was supposed to learn that in school, I was sleeping. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that was uh, after a little my after time. you. After my time. When they, I know I'm old when they say, when Sesame Street's after my time. Yeah. I, I didn't grow up to Sesame Street. You grew up to I Super I think I was sales. 43 when Sesame Street came out. <laughs> Romper Room was too old for me. Romper Room. Captain Kangaroo. Seeing the, oh, why is he talking down to me, I said. Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah, why is he? <laughs> why is he condescending? I don't, yeah, exactly. I'm a grown person. Right, Mr. and Mr. Rogers. Forget that. Wasn't, that was I don't know generation. what the hell that guy is. But do, are you young enough that Sesame Street was part of your childhood? I don't remember much of my childhood. I, yeah. I remember, you know, expecting people to help me, and they, they didn't. Early I, on? Yeah, early <laughs> on, I was, again, I couldn't call, ask for help. I just assumed that that was a parent's job. <laughs> You came, they, you came out of the womb saying, how does this work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my mother and dad said, we don't know either. Who books? And I, yeah. and I said, this is going to be a long haul, isn't it? <laughs> Someone's got to know something. But look, we're still here. We're still doing it. Yeah, that's the other thing. I don't thing, like dude. that attitude either. Oh, do you, do I, <laughs> how about that line you cross where you're like, uh, you know what? Maybe if this doesn't work out, I'll just 
And there's nothing in that space. <laughs> um, where are you going to be performing? Uh, I'm actually, for the first time in a long time, uh, taking some time off. I'm done for the year. I did a, uh, I did another uh, half hour Comedy Central Presents. How did that go? Really, it was really fun. It was. I have to say, it was did really they nice. laugh at you? They did laugh at me. And I did it with John Doerr, who I like, and so we had like a crowd. The crowd seemed to. They do a great job of getting a crowd. So I did that, and then uh, I'm not doing anything, but I'm doing the uh, uh, the Super Bowl for Letterman. That's a, my only booked gig in in February. So you're going to be a correspondent? Yeah, I'm doing that. That's been pretty good for you, though, right? That's been really good. Do you uh, do you put asses in seats with that? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I really, I I don't know how you put asses in seats, but I'm hoping to one day. It's some sort of magic trick. <laughs> I know people who do, and I go, well, how'd they do it? And then, if we knew that, Andy, that's the lightning in a bottle. You can't make that. <laughs> you can't make that. The only thing you can make are parents who ask you why you don't have it. That's yeah. nothing you can. You're responsible. How about for. this for a hook? Come on, I'm likable. <laughs> Does that work? Come on. Yeah. I'm likable. See, that's, see, our problem is we don't have enough bravado. Dane Cook has bravado. Yeah. But people, like, some people like that. I like the opposite. I like when people are uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. I, that's I, why I, I, you make me comfortable because I know you're uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm, 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 I want to climb out of my body right now only because I have an exercise in three days. It has nothing to do with you. I'm always uncomfortable. I'm very rarely comfortable. What's happening in three days? Why I, is my I voice I'm here? I have... <laughs> I haven't exercised in three days. Oh, no, I, oh. Haven't, I haven't exercised in like a couple of weeks, actually. I wonder if this guy's texting me and emailing me. It's, it's exciting to be part of it here. I'm here with Mark Marin on his show, and currently he's checking his uh, text mail. And uh, one of the jokes that Mark uh, has is very instructive because I didn't realize that you can press a specific key and get right back to the top. Did you? Which do, one? That I have an I, I got the iPhone, which is fantastic if you don't uh, want any coverage. If you're if you're happy with the AT and T coverage, and you know the AT and coverage is good because Luke Wilson does a commercial. What, what is that? I don't get that one. He goes, "Where these are the different cities that we cover: Milwaukee, Wisconsin." He throws a card. Yeah, C- Cleveland card. <laughs> card goes there. That's it. That's it. Then well, there's a two parter. Then they go, another commercial comes on. Then he comes back in. There's, I noticed one that was only one thing. That was written other than this town, this thing. It was like, uh, I've been there. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I know somebody over there. <laughs> now, he's funnier. He could be funnier than that in the commercial, can he? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a problem Follow with Follow Rocket. I like that movie. Oh, my God. That goes way back. <laughs> have you ever done a commercial? Uh, no, yeah, I have. I have. And I'm totally willing to do them. But I hate the... Pro- oh, yeah, because I you know I, I, like Hicks is one of my heroes, but I, I can't go with him on the... You shouldn't anything you do is to sell out because yeah. I got, I'd rather pay rent than be Hicks. Uh, than, than, well, <laughs> no, no. Like, I don't think his that's what caused his death. But I can't say. I, also, if someone's funny on a commercial, then I then I then it's just as funny to me as anything else. But look, I feel if people can live with themselves, then that's it. Well, that's true in general. But the, the, when I question, it's like Jason, like someone like Jason Alexander, like why do you have to do? You know, why is he? Well, that doing that, in, that falls under the the column of how much fucking money do you need. I mean, there's, that's different. <laughs> that's a good category. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, to me, it's like, I, I don't understand these people. I guess because their nut grows along with their income. But like, if, if I had Jason Alexander money after Seinfeld, I would say, see ya. Yeah. I, I'm done. I'm di- yeah, I did Why it. would you need any kind of appointments I, or I, anything? I would never go on stage again. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd get a house in the south of France and I'd sit down for a while. But people say that you do that, then you'll get bored and you'll get the bug again. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm, I'm so trained at doing nothing and I've not have any problem with it. <laughs> Well, I, 
Well, I saw that Michael when I saw Michael Richards before he had his outburst. He, I could see, I saw him. I don't know if you pl- ever played with him in clubs and stuff. He seemed very frustrated before the outburst. Well, I think that once you get that type of popularity and people are coming up to you every day, going, oh, "This is great," that that once you're not that guy anymore, it's got to be sort of annoying, and you kind of think like, "Well, how do I become that big again doing something else?" I think that you know the the success of a of a television show, you know, kind of leaves you that character for your life. Right. And and there's no way to really get out of it. And I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is doing a fine job uh, yeah. at, at uh, transcending it. And, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, who, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, he's he's just going to go do stand-up for a million dollars a gig. But I, I have no problem with that. But getting back to commercials, I've only done one. And it's just, I don't go out for them. But, I mean, if, if you can get behind the product and you don't feel like it makes you look like a fucking idiot and you can own yourself, I guess it's okay. It's not okay with me, really. You know, but I don't care what you do necessarily. Well, the problem that I didn't like on them, which is why I don't go on them anymore, is uh, the process of how many auditions you go on for how many uh, jobs you, you get. Because I used to do a joke like, first of all, I hate they go like an hour late. So it's like, yeah. let's keep the rejection moving. Yeah. Right? Wait, there's no reason. <laughs> so the whole the whole process is kind of, you know, signs, actors, don't use elevators, yeah, that kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, yeah, You, you feel dehumanized park, by it. Park on the street. Yeah, park is on the street. Is there, is, there, is there a parking lot? No, you got to no. park on the street. <laughs> Yeah, and slink up the stairs. Don't use the elevator. That part I didn't like, but I, I go. I, I like voiceovers. I don't get any, but I like the auditions, and I yeah, enjoy yeah, yeah. that. That's not good. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy who's disappeared. You're not going to disappear, no. Andy. Everybody cares about you. Oh, that's a good thing to know. Yeah, it's for everybody. Everybody loves Andy Kinler. You're one of those guys. No one has a bad thing to say about. Wow. Yeah, well, I like that. No one has a bad thing to say about Andy Kinler. Well, now he made me feel good. I said it twice. No one makes okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when you're not doing well on stage? Well, I here's the thing I think that's true about me is that I think I'm doing worse on stage than I'm doing. That oh. I think I have that disease and I need to get it cured sometimes. Maybe it's in that same pill you were talking about. So now <laughs> the pill has to keep you up, energy, focused and, and and make you not worry that you're not doing well. That would be great on the back on the uh, <laughs> yeah. well uh, enables you to assess how well you're doing with the crowds <laughs> and you're up all the time that'd be very 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 funny if we could design our own drugs and then market them yeah the andy kenler pill i think it's got i think we're close as, as a society to being able to do that thank god thank <laughs> god i've always wanted to have my own pill they don't name pills after people they, they, they i've never heard that uh these are called speed bennies i never met benny but i have to assume no. he was a very rapid talker and stayed up a long time well they named they had black beauties that was named after the 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 book about the horse, right? I don't know if it was. I'm assuming it was. Have you heard Black Beauties? Yeah, I've heard Black Beauties, <laughs> but I don't know if it was based on the the book, the fairy I don't tale. Think so. White crosses, for yeah. example. Yeah, that was based on uh, uh, the Klan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> the Klan needed yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah, you take five white crosses and you hate Jews and blacks, <laughs> and you have the energy to put a getup on. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have the shame to wear the getup, and perhaps do some burning of things. Right. Because of the energy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is that the way you always end the show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there What's the next segment coming up after me? I don't know. <laughs> How long is the show total? Could be. Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing holding us back. Or, or Are you streaming? No, we're not streaming. Then people will be listening right now. Streaming will be like, no, we're just recording. Now, where are you playing? What are you going to do? Don't. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, don't even do it. Don't do it. I've got some plans. I got a yeah. week in Seattle in January, and and I'm gonna you know go to Portland or something, and and I got I'm working on building a show with Comedy Central. 
I just wanted to give you a chance to plug something on your own show. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll get there. Here's here's what I say. Pretty soon I'll be in your town. <laughs> <laughs> and now are you Twitter? You Twitter too? Sure. And what? How do you feel that that helps? Does it help? I'll do it if it helps. Do if it, it puts asses in seats. <laughs> just do it all. Just do, do it, it all? all. Yeah, because you, it's like a job. But do it all. I avoid the MySpace debacle. No, no one does MySpace anymore. MySpace mm-hmm. is uh, is something different. Too. But Facebook? Oh, I'm all over the Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is good. Yeah. Yeah, but get on the Twitter and yeah. then you know leave it there for now. I got confused. I thought Twitter you, you had to actually accept people, but you don't have to accept people. You don't have to accept anything. You don't have to do anything, right? Uh, no, no. You don't have to accept people. That you just uh no, they just show up, the people there. Right. They followers and you're following. Yeah, you can you can choose who you follow and then uh you know people just follow you and they just come. Right. And they're excited to But hear you what don't you banter with them. You can. Okay. But it's usually in a public forum. But they give you the option of private message. Oh, we don't want that. No, it's uh, I, unless you know the person. I don't want one more area that I'm ignoring. Like you know, as I've said, Mark, remember when we used to have the answering machine tapes? Sure. And then you fill it. Up, it gets filled up. You fill it in the garbage. You yeah. the tape. Yeah. That was a great system. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, yeah, Andy. I, I don't like the different various ways, the different voicemails that I have to check. Gee, just the fact of email. You remember it was like you know, like you get through the end of a day. And you listen to messages, and you'd be like, I'll call them tomorrow. Right, That's now. That's unheard of. If you don't return a call, people are like, I think he's dead. <laughs> I know he got it. Yeah, how can he not? I know he got it. it. I left a Facebook message, I emailed him, and I left him a text message, and I left a message on his phone. How could he have not got I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> All right, Andy Kinler. This, this was, was a pleasure. This was do you, fun. Do you, feel like, do you feel good about it? I feel very good about it. I okay. hope it's uh, the people out there don't think it was too Jewy. I don't think we were Jewish at all. Not at all this time. I think we covered a lot of uh, topics. It's a Shonda, how, <laughs> how little Jewish we put in there. <laughs> it is a Shonda. I could cavell for and, how much. And, and I feel that you and I are mishpulka. And I, I do. I know. I, I threw on a shmata. Yeah. I came down here. I said, what's the simis? We're mishpulka. <laughs> Thank God we didn't have too much surus. Because, yeah, no surus. Uh, no surus, because that would have been depressing. And that's about the limit I got. Shalom. Shalom. That's our show. I want to thank Andy Kindler for sharing his, himself with us, with you and me. And please remember, if you want to learn anything or be up to speed with anything comedy-related, go to punchlinemagazine.com. And if you want to get some justcoffee.coop coffee, because it, you know, you know how it goes, uh, you can go to wtfpod.com and hit the link on Just Coffee, or you can go to justcoffee.coop and put WTF in the coupon box and get yourself a little deal on some coffee. You can also go to WTF Pod and put your name on the mailing list so I can let you know what I'm doing and if it's anywhere near you. Uh, And you can also go and donate some money because uh, I want to make a living at this. Is that okay with you people? All right, that's about it for today. I'll talk to you soon.